welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Cooper, and the topic on the table today is human performance. Dr. Fergus Connolly is joining us, one of the world's foremost human performance thought leaders and influencers. He has applied performance science with leading sports, military, and business teams, and is the only coach to have a full-time role in every major sports with teams, frankly, you would all recognize, including soccer, professional and college football, and rugby. This episode was one of my favorites we've done, and you'll see why very shortly. For those of you considering pursuing the National Board Certification as a health and wellness coach, you don't need to rush but you might want to get serious about your options as the MBHWC requirements are changing later this year, and those changes are going to involve more time and more money on your part. So if you're on the fence, this might be a good time to jump in. Our next two Fast Track certifications, and you can pick either one or do the distance learning, are April 4th and 5th, and then June 13th and 14th. They likely will fill early due to the upcoming changes, so please contact us with any questions at results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com, or you can go ahead and get registered at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. And if it helps, there is a six months no interest option that's available. Now let's listen in as Dr. Fergus Connolly shares his valuable insights about human performance at all levels on this latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Dr. Connolly, it's a privilege to have you. I, I really appreciate Dr. Singh suggesting we connect. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, she's, a, she's a wonderful expert and a wonderful person in her own right. She really is. She really is in, in so many ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to us about your journey. Our, our audience knows your background, but how did you end up doing what you're doing today? Oh, I think this is where I'm supposed to tell people, you know, to follow their passion and forget about (laughs) all these different things. Or maybe the other answer is, well, I had a plan and I stuck to it. And the the truth is that uh, I took a career break from teaching 15, almost 20 years ago, and I never went back. Hmm. I started, my plan was actually just to be a teacher. Uh, My father, not just, I think teaching is actually probably the most important job, actually most important profession today. It's becoming more and more important. Uh, That's a whole other conversation. But uh, my plan was to be a teacher and then coach kids playing sport in Ireland. And I just had a huge passion for sport, for understanding performance, for helping people. Because as I was coming through, lots of different people had helped me and then there were things I wanted to learn that I didn't get the opportunity to. And um, I just wanted to help uh, share my lessons and experiences in sport with kids. And I was very passionate about performance, about sport and about learning. So I would save up my money when I was, even when I was at university and when I started teaching and I would travel and visit teams and coaches to learn from them. And it was just, I was just fulfilling uh, you know, an interest, a passion. And on one of these trips, I got offered a job. Uh, shortly afterwards, a team called me and said, look, we, you were here. You were really interested. You seem to have a lot of knowledge about what we're doing. Uh, we, an opportunity has come up and we can't find anyone else who maybe shares your interest, passion for what you're doing. Would you be interested in joining us? And so, like I said, I took a career break thinking 
I do this for a year or two and then go back to a nice, steady, stable job teaching. <laughs> and I've never gone back. And uh, the job's long gone. So <laughs> I just I have to keep doing this. But uh, I, yeah, I started working in the Premier League in soccer as a strength coach, a sports scientist. Uh, worked in rugby, worked in the NFL, worked in college sport, worked with uh, some special operations groups. And I was fortunate, I guess, in that I started in elite sport and started with very you know, well-known, highly paid athletes. So that's a different demographic. But what was interesting over the years then was that I slowly started to recognize that they do need to be prepared in a particular way. And that is, uh, there's, you know, there's no argument about that. But I started to notice that the foundation for long-term success were actually a lot of the basic principles that everybody's faced with. Mm. So that was a really interesting journey uh, and understanding for, for me. And it was uh, something that I had to learn. I think one other thing that it might be of interest you know, to, to your listeners as well is that, you know, I started, uh, really studying strength and conditioning and I was led to believe, or I believed at the time that, well, if you're really strong, you know, then you're going to be fast and you can prevent injury. And then I realized, okay, well, nutrition has a huge part to play in this. So I studied all that I could about it and about supplementation and about everything else. And then but I slowly started to notice then, well, psychology is important. And this kept going on and on, you know, biomechanics, neurology, uh, um, uh, cardiopulmonary control, all of these different things. And it slowly dawned on me, you have to treat the person holistically mm. and understand how all of these things are intertwined to create a foundation, first and foremost, on which you can build continued, sustained, elite performance. Excellent. Very well said. Very well said. Let's pull back the curtain a little bit for folks that don't get to see the stuff you see. So you've worked with incredibly successful athletes, coaches, you've been in those team settings, you've worked with the individuals. Could you share a couple stories from those settings, and we can keep it anonymous, but that might surprise people who don't regularly or ever spend time with those groups and, and maybe only get to see them from the outside? I think what might surprise some people is that the many of the the mainstream ideas so you know eating a particularly very healthy all athletes do they don't many of them are very poor dietary um, lifestyles or poor lifestyle um, you know routines but they manage to compensate because of you know a genetic advantage perhaps athletically hmm. and that's a st that they can manage that for a short period, but what you do recognize is that for sustained success for very long careers, uh, those athletes don't survive. But often, when you go and visit a team or an organization, you'll see guys eating, you know, fried foods or uh, candy or chocolate or having very, um, you know, unorthodox approaches to uh, diet, nutrition, recovery, and it works. And so the very first thing is that some people think, oh, well, we have to change that. Well, that in itself brings incredible disruption and you can lose the athlete. Um, but you do recognize that over a long term, you have to slowly make those changes. So I guess what I really learned was that helping in 
performer is driving on the freeway between the slow lane and the fast lane. You have to work at both speeds and you have to recognize that. I think that's one of the things that people might find uh, unusual. They might think that, well, you know, elite teams have everything right or elite performers do. Very often, it's not the case at all. That's really interesting because you do think today with all the all the information and the support staffs and everything else that they would they'd have that dialed in. Is it is it just they look the other way when the athlete is such an elite performer? They just figure, you know, I just don't want to don't want to mess with it. Or I think a lot of it is that um, many athletes rely largely on physical abilities, which mm-hmm. they have developed over a period of time. And if you look at society and you look at the sports industry, and it's really an entertainment industry at, at this point in time, sure. many of them come from very poor you know, backgrounds, disadvantaged uh, backgrounds. So they develop poor dietary habits because of socioeconomic situations. It's not that they choose that. And then it's very difficult, as we all know, to change a habit mm-hmm. or to change from a food that, that you're used to eating. And particularly when a guy with a strange accent um, you know, sits down <laughs> and tells them you need to be eating broccoli and they're going, what is, first of all, what is broccoli? And secondly, you know, why? And well, I, you know, I got here, what do you know? Like, you I mean, that, this is what's who going are you? Their, yeah, exactly. And this is what's going through their mind. Um, you know, so it's, you just can't simply sit down and say, well, what you're eating is wrong because they're going to look at you and say, well, you know, you know, five pro bowls or, you know, I've got two NBA rings or like, I mean, it's, you have to recognize and understand where they're coming from and empathize that, you know, many of these, um, kids and athletes have achieved an awful lot in spite of what we might think are, you know, poor lifestyle habits. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's the, the the first thing I think. The other thing is that in terms of developing the athlete, um, you know, the collegiate system today is is very much about how much money can the athletic department bring in. So it it's not necessarily concerned with you know the long term benefit. This they have an athlete here for four years or three years or two years or whatever it is. It's it's not. It's about getting short term results. So the long term investment in the athlete is not you know the jerry Maguire scenario it does not really exist in sport which is unfortunate but that's you know that that's because of the nature of the industry so really in order to make change and your listeners will really appreciate this as well the very first thing is to develop trust so that the athlete recognizes that you genuinely have their interest at, at heart and um just as, a, as an aside, you know, I just had a text message from a, a player at the Patriots just thanking me for, you know, for help that, that you know, that I'd given him over, the ta- over his career. And that is, it's just nice to get that because that's based on them recognizing that you have their best interests at heart. It's not a, financial, a purely financial relationship. Um, and that's very, very important if you want to build uh, you know, if you want to change habits in, in your players or your athletes or your, your, your clients. That's such a great reminder because the coaches face similar things. They may not be working with the elite athlete, but maybe they have an executive they're working with or, or somebody else. And they're saying, why are you talking to me about my fill in the blank, sleep, eating habits, whatever. I'm, I'm the CEO or I'm the, you know, I've done really well at this point. So what you're saying is you take a step back 
and you say, oh, I'm just going to take this and I'm going to put it over to the side and I'm going to focus on build the relationship. And then as that relationship builds, the trust will build and then maybe we can come back to the broccoli or whatever it might be. Yes. And it's, um, to use a military term, it's surfaces and gaps. So when you approach someone, you will get easy wins straight away because they're generally will be something that they have an issue with and you can help address that. And so, um, you know, that you're coming to them with a solution. So that's driving in the fast lane for a little bit. So you can move fast on that. You can make change, um, on the things that they will resist against, which you know will make a difference. So using broccoli as the example, uh, we put that in the slow lane for the time being. So I know that when I get trust built up with this other thing, for example, sleep, uh, and I get buy-in, then I can move broccoli into the fast lane. We can move fast with, with that. But there are some things that have to stay in the slow lane, and it's always individual. So with different players, you know, they really want to, for example, change body composition. So maybe, you know, broccoli and stuff can go into the fast lane quickly and sleep is the one that has to stay in the slow lane. And so um, I don't ever just stop to build trust in a relationship. I'm always looking for a surface, which I, you know, I have to put into the slow lane and a gap, which I can exploit very quickly. And that builds trust as well. So it's always happening. It's, it's building that relationship. But it all starts with understanding your client, and um, and it is the same. I work with some executives as well, and it's still the it's the very same approach. But it all comes from truly understanding their fears and needs, and where you can get, you know, where you can move in the fast lane with them, where you need to move in the slow lane, and and bit by bit make progress. Very good, very good. All right. So speaking of the Patriots, I read your interview about Tom Brady's lasting success. I mean, the guy is just <laughs> still crushing it. And you notice that maintaining a healthy lifestyle and, and you went through diet, sleep, strength, flexibility, spiritual cognitive resilience, that's critical, not just to life, but the NFL, like at, at the highest levels. Are those same elements key to any high performer or is it different for those that are focusing on non-athletic pursuits? No, it's critical. And just, I'm not claiming any credit. Tom Brady's not a client of mine before anybody gets excited. But um, <laughs> no, no, I think um, it, it does, it's always the same. And it's the same in an elite military unit, an NFL quarterback, uh, you know, point guard in the NBA. Uh, it's the same for everybody. Um, the foundational lifestyle principles are universal because um, those superstars um, or incredibly successful people that we see on TV for whatever arena they might be in, they still need these pillars of performance to continue to build on. And they specialize then in a particular area. But for everybody, um, you know, you can, uh, for short periods, uh, maybe cut corners, but you will not be able to sustain performance, elite performance over a period of time if you don't have those foundations in place. And what you know, what I've learned over the years as well is that you know, emotional control or mental resilience or mental toughness, all of these things have a physiological basis mm. on which they are b- built. So your diet will influence mood, which over time, if you don't respect it and don't regard it, you'll develop, um, you know, minor 
um, I don't want to call them psychological problems, but for example, irritability. If you, you know, snack on a lot of sugary foods, you drink a lot of coffee, and you cut corners on your sleep, you will notice your personality. You can push it hard, but you will notice that your personality will uh, have negative consequences, not just on you, but on the people that you work with. So that's an example of, you know, cutting corners over a period of time. And that's the same for an elite performer. Um, the There are some differences where they do have to perform at a very high level, but it's usually only for short periods of a time. It's when you try and sustain that those bad habits, that's when you, you'll crash and, and burn. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, it's interesting. My PhD was basically focused on mental toughness and our studies showed exactly what you're saying, that if you establish these things, your mental toughness is higher. If you're doing these things, your mental, and it wasn't, it wasn't the classic, just grit your teeth and get out there. And it it was, it's, it's what you're describing. So it's, it's nice to see that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you've you've seen my ted talk and i i speak about you know my own instance of of burning out trying to look after uh too many people but yeah you know and i used to have written on on my wall 16 2 and 6 and my re- my reason for that was that there were 16 hours work a day i could get done i could get 2 hours for travel to and from work and for eating and 6 hours of sleep that was what i you know, during periods of very intense work, I would, you know, aim for, and you can sustain that, but for a short period, you're not intended to do it for two years straight or for a year straight, which is where the mistake that I made, um, you know, trying to look after too many people uh, and not, you know, prioritizing my own health um, as well. So I've been a victim of it. And that is why, you know, uh, elite units will only um, you know, have guys, for example, downrange or, or uh, on tour for six months, very often with a, you know, before they get a break, because mm-hmm. you have to. And many, uh, you know, I, I learned that the hard way, but you, you need to um, understand that, yes, life is tough, life will be difficult, and there are periods where you're going to have to push hard, but you need to put in breaks so that you can recharge and get back to normal for and, and uh, rebuild those batteries, those pillars that uh, are that foundation, like you say, for mental toughness. So let's look at those five areas. Uh, So the ones I wrote down and feel free to add to it, but diet, sleep, strength, flexibility, and spiritual cognitive resilience. In those five areas, are there specific aspects of one or, or a couple of those that when you're working through those with someone might surprise people about the way you go about doing that? I think that really what we're trying to do is to recognize that the athlete is a person as a whole and recognizing that if you, you need to treat the person before the player or you need to treat, you know, the person before the executive. And I I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, the, the Soviets used the term functional reserve. In other words, we have a certain amount of, you know, in, in, Eastern medicine, they refer to chi. We, we have a certain amount of energy. Our body allocates that depending on the demands of the time. But you need to recognize that diet, sleep, rest, all of these things contribute to the so-called you know, master battery that we have um, that is 
uh, there for us when we need it most when we draw on resources that's why for example you know if we cut corners on sleep and food we might end up with a with a cold um or we might end up with with you know sleep issues but we draw energy from other parts in, in our body to compensate at any point in time your new book First of all, love the title. I, I don't know if that was yours or somebody <laughs> walked you through that, but you nailed it. It's titled Game Changer, The Art of Sports Science. Perfect, perfect combination. It looks fantastic. Could you give us a couple of highlights that might be of particular interest to health and wellness coaches or, or folks that just they're wanting to improve their own health and wellness in, in their lives? Yeah, so the, the book was written primarily for team sports coaches. and. Um, because and so what I did essentially was I wrote out all the principles that I've used working across all of these different sports, which you know nobody really had worked full time in the NFL or in international rugby in the Premier League. And as I went from each sport to sport, I recognized there were common principles, and that's mm -hmm. what I put together. And it caused a lot of interest um, among coaches initially because they started to realize there's a lot I can learn from these other sports. And also, the, you know, one of the sections is about the athlete as, uh, as a person and how it's essentially the same athlete in every sport. It's just that the skill is slightly different, like the same mm -hmm. psychological components profile sure. can be used, same physical, etc. And even if you want to look at it, same tactically, you have to find space, you have to close space. But the person is the exact same. And the fourth section is about teamwork culture and about how they are the same common themes in every sport. Like what does it take to create a high performance team? And then um, what ended up happening ironically were that a lot of coaches who were coaching, uh, you know, part-time or coaching their, their kids, um, local softball, lacrosse, football team started to, realized that these principles of particularly teamwork uh, and functioning apply directly to their corporate culture. And so I started to get more and more inquiries and contact from people who are working, for example, in law firms, attorneys, uh, traders even, who um, you know had heard about the book, had started to use it for coaching their kids and realized, hang on a second, these principles apply to me. They apply to my staff. And um, so many of them, I've worked with one company actually developing that TTPP model, which is tactical, technical, physical, and psychological model to help them profile their staff actually for um, long-term development for health and wellness. Um, and then with some military groups as well, using the exact same uh, profiling approach. It's just so interesting how it, the consistency, like you said, across athletes, but then across military, across executives, across your neighbor. I mean, it's just, it, it's so interesting how it, it comes down to the, it comes down to the core. All right. Your TED talk, re really interesting. People that haven't seen you, they got to pull that one up. You have this quote in there, authentic people aren't perfect. Perfect people aren't authentic. Every, everyone can benefit from that message, but I think it's particularly valuable to those of us that are in the health and wellness arena. Can you take us beyond the quotes on what this is really getting into? <laughs> so I, you know, somebody said to me before, oh, you know, you, you need to, you know, give a Ted talk about 
you know, how, you know, transitioning from a PhD in computers to working in elite sport and just your journey and, or, you know, about different aspects, different stories, things that have happened. The last thing I expected to be doing was giving a TED talk about somebody who's a coach in elite performance about themselves burning out. And <laughs> that's really where, um, and, you know, the, the TED talk revolves around how I was working with a group of special forces operators and they asked, you know, after teaching them, you know, about particular aspects of teamwork and culture and performance, uh, I was asked, you know, what, what was your greatest failure? And, you know, it was, it, I, I told a story about myself burning out, um, getting a DUI. And, um, but it was important for me because when I finished the story, the, the most senior officer looked, looked straight across at me and said, yeah, that's exactly what happens to us. Hmm. And after it happened, I had so many very well-known athletes, some of the most famous athletes in, in, in the country, actually, who I'd been fortunate to work with, reached out to me. And they shared stories of failure, of screw-ups that they had had that even I didn't know. And I'd worked with some of these very, very closely. And I realized that everybody screws up and everybody makes mistakes. Some of them you hear about, some of them you don't. But the that in itself is an important message because today, uh, with social media, we are presented with images of perfection, success, mm -hmm. happiness constantly. And the illusion, um, particularly for younger people coming through, is that, well, if you're not happy and you're not a millionaire, you're not successful. And so it, it helped me share that. The story has helped me help so many people where I've been able to um, help people redefine what success really is for, for them. All right. So in terms of human performance, that's your specialty. Let's, let's talk two different levels and I'm sure there's some overlap here, but some of the basics when you, when you're helping somebody just get out of the gate, you're, you're, they're coming to you after long history, you're just kind of on cruise control and they come to you and say, Fergus, uh, it's time for me to step up. So they're at the more basic level. And then at the elite level, someone that's pretty dialed in. So this isn't just the gifted athlete, but somebody who's really dialed in and they're looking for that last little, you know, one to 2%. Can you walk us through first the basic? Where do you start? How do you start to integrate that for the, we'll call them a newcomer? And then what's that last one to 2%? What does that involve? So it, what's interesting is that very often with and this might be a surprise, with elite performers, very often they have certain things dialed in exceptionally well. So in some cases, you know, I've had um, NFL linebackers come to me with very detailed dialed in diet and supplement programs. And so it's recognizing, again, back to this idea of surfaces and gaps, what they've got very, very well tuned in. But in some cases, they can be weaknesses where they over-focus on, for example, supplementation and they're missing uh, some key things. So it's first of all about evaluating where they are uh, strong, making sure that their strengths aren't themselves becoming weaknesses uh, th themselves. Then secondly, helping uh, identify what their needs are and their fears. So in some cases, athletes struggle with, uh, they have a perception of something that they need to improve. 
and that's driven perhaps by a fear. So it might be that, you know, their contract or whatever is up for mm-hmm. renewal or they're in competition. So it's recognizing what that fear is, but then truly helping them identify what the real need is. And um, those are two completely different things. Sometimes they have, like I say, a false perception of what it is that they need. So helping them recognize, and they have the answer. I don't have the answer. Sure. But I can ask questions to identify truly what the, the need is and then um, helping them, you know, come to the conclusion, okay, this is really what I need to focus on, which is, you know, my long-term health, my long-term welfare. It may be um, in some cases, you know, a family issue or um, it may be helping them recognize, you know, these are the things that are actually draining uh, my energy and really helping them come to the to the conclusion and then helping create a program whereby uh, they can uh, develop that or, or work on that. And what you tend to find very often in elite performers in the sports field, the sports arena, the physical qualities generally are pretty good, but some of them kind of compensated, you know, by not doing a lot of prehab work or um, maybe their, you know, the body's being held together, um, you know, uh, you know, because they're able to compensate. So it's helping identify maybe some physical things, but largely you find that over time, it's about helping them create a spiritual model for life. And I don't necessarily mean from a faith perspective, but helping them recognize what's really important to them in their life. Because when they, very often that's irritating them uh, deep down. And that's sometimes something that they struggle with because and particularly now, and this will apply to your to your listeners, what you end up dealing with with high achievers are that they have fallen into a pathway, a career, a profession, a title, an expectation um, of perfection and overachieving. Mm-hmm. But it's very narrow. Uh, it's very specialized. And they've neglected other areas of their life Mm. And those are the areas that when you are, it's like hitting a speed bump or getting a flat tire at a very, very high speed. You know, everything's going fine until, you know, you hit that speed bump, hit a pothole, uh, and then things start to spin out of control. Um, It's having those other foundational pieces, uh, good lifestyle, good family, good network, good support. Those are the things that you need to sustain uh, the elite performer over time. And I can equate it perhaps to uh, an incredibly successful athlete who gets his first serious injury and now is facing four months or six months of rehab away from the team, a lot of lonely time. That's when the questions start to eat away at the, you know, at, at, at the athlete. Hmm. And then for the person that's just getting, that is great, by the way, for the person that's just, waking up and saying, okay, I'm tired of average. It's time for me to step up. Where do you start with them? With many of those people, a lot of it is about identifying the areas where they can make uh, slow improvements. But first of all, you want to establish with them uh, an actual um, vision of what they can achieve and understanding that okay, this is where you want to get to, this is what it's going to take, um, but helping them you know, slowly develop over time um, and bringing that picture into fruition and saying, okay, these are the, the stages 
um, that you're going to have to undertake to get there um, and making sure that the vision is reasonable and that we're going to bite it off in small chunks and we're going to take care of it. Um, but also one just careful point is making sure that the vision is, um, you know, one that is wholesome and honorable, so to speak, so that, you know, this is something that you can genuinely support, that they're doing it for the right reasons so that you build sustainable success. Like, I, you know, I can take anybody and, you know, drop body weight in X amount of, ta- X amount of time sure. um, very, very quickly, or I can even drop body fat very, very quickly. But am I creating sustain- sustainable habits that are going to truly impact this person in a positive way and so they can continue when I'm not there to continue to make progress? Before I forget, what's the best way for folks to follow you? I know this is fun, and I know people are sitting here going, "I gotta, I gotta keep track of this guy." <laughs> I, I, I know you're on Twitter. Is that the best way for people to kind of keep up with prob- you? Yeah, Twitter's probably the easiest. Um, and, and what is that? It's Fergus underscore Connolly, F E R G U S underscore C O N N O L L Y, um, and yeah, or just go to my website, FergusConnolly.com. Okay, but, uh, but again, you know, it's. I think for a lot of coaches, the biggest challenge I think that coaches have is recognizing, um, you know, the holistic nature of their impact and recognizing that, you know, the, I would have made this mistake. I'm sure everybody has done it. Um, you know, somebody comes to you with an issue and before they've even finished <laughs> explaining, you've got the answer straight to them. You know, you need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, I've learned over the years to take my time and let them talk themselves out um, because slowly you realize that, for example, if they come to you with a dietary issue, that very often is not the, the co- at the core mm-hmm. of the concern that they have. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing is drawing on, you know, experts like Dr. Singh and others who, you know, who you need to learn from. Uh, learn from the specialists so that you can become a better generalist. Like, I mean, David, you know, David, David Epstein sent me a copy of a preview copy of his book range. And I could have sworn it was a biography um, of my experience <laughs> because, you know, like I said, early on, I, you know, I, I studied, you know, nutrition, supplementation, biomechanics, neurology, all of these different things to try and find so- solutions. And he was writing this book that was basically outlining how, um, you know, great high achievers um, have, um, yes, they have a specialism, but it's built on this generalist foundation or this in this generalist environment. We, we had a chance to interview David, oh, it's been three, four months ago now. So same thing, I read an advanced copy and exactly what you said, that's why I'm laughing, because I felt like, oh my gosh, he's been following me around. This is this is psychotic. What's going on here? So, so yes, it's, it's incredible. And he's, you know, first of all, just like Dr. Singh, he's an incredible person, been an incredible oh. help to me um, personally, a wonderful guy. And, but his, um, his writing and he, like, he even quoted, he even quoted Werner von Braun in it. And I'm going, man, you, like, this is just, you know, these are all <laughs> these different people and different inspirations. Um, uh, really, really good really, really good guy and a fascinating insight into, you know, performance and into how, um, you know, people really um, function in today's society Um, because it is changing a a lot as well. And I think that uh, social media has some wonderful 
benefits, but uh, some of the things we just need to be aware of is this, the uh, deluge of information and a lot of the, um, I don't want to call them false narratives, but perhaps inaccurate images that are, are portrayed that influence the people that we work with. Okay, so two things. You, you will just build off this. We, we talked about your Twitter account, and I just read you tweeted out an article about the importance of consistent reading. We've just been talking mm-hmm. about David's book, yeah. Outstanding Book Range. So good timing for this question. You, you, the statistics on reading are just, they're just sad. I mean, people, even if they buy a book, the fact that only a certain percent get through the first three chapters is, is it's just very low. So could you provide us a boost for those people that have good intentions. They, they say, I, I enjoy reading. I, I, I want to read, but I, I, I just don't. So for those that need a stronger why, yeah, I don't know about reading, and maybe a strategy for making it a consistent part of you, their life, if you've seen something that has helped you or you've seen something with your clients that you've encouraged them, just give us some tips because I, I think there's so much out there. You know, obviously they're they're listening to podcasts like this to get that kind of information, but there's so many valuable insights in these books and, and we're missing out. So a stronger why you might be able to help us with and then maybe a little bit of a strategy on how to integrate that into our lives if you have any tips along those lines. Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've opened up one or two talks that I've given by describing myself as the world's greatest thief. And you know, one of the things that I stole from, um, you know, an article, I think, no, it was a book uh, I read about Michael Jordan was about Phil Jackson giving books yes. to, um, you know, to his players. And I, you know, stole that idea and I would do the same, whether it was at Michigan or at the San Francisco 49ers. And I would give books to guys who I knew would read. Others I would give short articles to. And I would try and pick uh, articles actually that, had extracts from books in the hope that they would inspire some guys and some would and some wouldn't. But it's also important to recognize that we, um, not everybody wants to read and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding that in some cases we have to spend a lot of time on selling ideas and concepts. Um, For me personally, as a professional, I try and read, you know, not as much as I can. I, I read because I'm passionate about it you know, learning these different things. And I read lots of different styles of books, you know, like, um, like a book like David's, whatever I'd read. But I've also, you know, I've also purchased graphic novels to read them to understand how and why some of them are so successful hmm. at getting their message across. And, um, and I've tried to read many different types of writing to understand why is this book so successful and others aren't? Hmm. Um, and so very often I'd recommend um, to people short books starting um, so that they see the value of reading. So, hmm. you know, one of the books that I recommend constantly is Who Moved My Cheese, which is just oh, yeah. an incredibly short book. You know, you can read it in 30 minutes. Yep. And that has just a really simple message. People get the message and they go, okay. And if they enjoy reading that, um, then I can uh, start to introduce them to, you know, maybe a slightly longer book or to, um, you know, a book with a series of short stories or short anecdotes. And so I wrote Game Changer. I also wrote a second book called 59 Lessons. I'm not trying to sell the book, but I wrote, they're two completely different styles. The second book, 59 Lessons, is just a series of short um, stories because I realized that a lot of people 
um, read books that had short short stories with mm. a moral or a message, and I wanted to see could how the how different you know would it appeal to different demographics and different audiences. So uh, my approach in helping encouraging others is always try and find uh, a book that I can use as as a wedge to get them started and then slowly say, Hey, you know, you might, you might really like this story or this person's story is actually similar to yours. Mm. And that's what I've done with uh, a lot of, a lot of athletes and executives as well. And, you know, handing them, you know, a a huge, uh, you know, a very thick book to start is generally not going to work well unless they're an avid reader. Um, And so the other thing I, you know, I, you'd see articles from time to time that say that, you know, this incredibly successful business person reads, you know, seven books a week or whatever. And I, I just, <laughs> I, I roll my eyes. That's like, that's yeah. like, you know, the guy saying, well, I sleep only three hours a night. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Sure you do. Like, Last you mean, night. Exactly. Once. Yeah. And so, and those are the kind of things that I think people find. Um, I think that's one of the things that I'm fortunate to be able to explain to people that, um, you know, somebody uh, will say, oh, well, you know, this person does this or this person only does this or they never have a rest day or they listen. <laughs> I, I can tell you the truth. Right. And the truth is a lot is not a lot different, but there's a reason. And here's the rationale. And I've been there. I'll never forget actually giving a talk in Boston a number of years ago. And a, a coach put his hand up and told me how the team that I was working with were monitoring their players 24 hours a day using this particular technology. And, uh, you know, I just told them, I said, no, we don't. He said, oh, well, I read it in this article. And I said, yeah, I've read that article too. And the journalist misunderstood what was being said. Hmm. And it, it's just fascinating how misinformation can, uh, I think it's Winston Churchill said that a lie gets around the world before the truth has had a chance to put his pants on. <laughs> and so um, it's it's always interesting to be able to help people understand what the reality really is. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right, just two more. Let's personalize the human performance journey a little bit. How are you applying your insights, the things you're reading, the things you're learning, the things you're using in an area where you're looking to optimize your own health and wellness? Well, I think sleep, you know, is something that and Dr. Singh has been a huge help to me in, in improving the quality of of, of my sleep. And, uh, I I go to bed earlier. I do get up early still, but I enjoy getting up early. I've always gotten up early. Um, and it allows me, there's something about getting up, um, and just getting my day organized properly. Running start. Um, Yeah. Before, um, I don't want to say before the sun comes up because that sounds bragging. It's not that in, in essence, but it's just getting some, some quiet time to, to myself. The other thing that I've started to do more of is to, before I go to bed, just have a look at what's coming the following day hmm. so that uh, I'm aware of it. Um, I think the other thing that, um, that I've started to do a lot more of is to embrace, um, you know, failures or negative things because I've, you know, it's something that I've learned over the years is that, um, you know, people talk about, you know, having gratitude and gratitude for, you know, positive things that have happened. For me, I, I spend a lot of time having gratitude for negative events that happen mm-hmm. because it allows me to embrace them and recognize that these are learning opportunities. They're not failures. Um, and that has had a, an incredible uh, 
benefit for me. And it's something that, you know, somebody drew it to my attention some time ago. They said, I was talking about something I'd screwed up and they were going, yeah, but, you know, is this the first time you failed? And I've gone, no. And they said, well, write down a list of all the, you know, the, the failures that you re- or things you regard as failure. And I did. But as I was putting the list together, before I got back to them, I realized why they wanted me to do it was because I was having a very difficult time in actually truly identifying them as failures. Every time that something negative had happened, or I thought at that time it was a negative thing, what happened afterwards was an opportunity, which was uh, a missed another direction I went yeah. in that became incredibly successful. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, so really what happens, what we think are failures or setbacks are actually um, opportunities if you choose to see them as such, if that's the most important point. And that's something that I've been able to use with a lot of clients um, because now I work more in the corporate sector with clients that um, has been incredibly beneficial for them um, and helping them recognize as well um, the difference between uh, pleasure, happiness, and contentment. Pleasure is fleeting. They're fleeting moments of, for example, love or whatever. Happiness is, you know, you've happy days, you've down days. But we really should be striving for contentment, which is where recognizing that, you know, there will be happy moments, there'll be sad moments, but not fluctuating excessively within those moments um, and finding that place of contentment. This is so good. Loving this. All right, last question. Any, just wide open, any final words of wisdom for those that are either trying to help others improve their health and wellness or they're just they're on this journey themselves and they're, they're listening to this because they're looking for ideas. Just anything I haven't teed up with a question up to this point. Oh, wow, we can keep going. I think, um, I think the, <laughs> the important thing, I think the important thing for um, people is to recognize there are four things that, that I think are critical to all high achievers in, in my experience. And this is something I've refined particularly over the last two years. I think the first thing is, you know, who are you? So there are these two very old philosophical questions. Who am I and why am I here? And that's the first question is that, who are you? Like, what is your identity? And that means recognizing what your strengths and limitations are. It doesn't mean that you're a good person, a bad person. It just means nobody's perfect. So what are the things you're really, really good at? And, you know, protect them, bolster them, the things that you've limitations with, you've got to work on and you've got to just recognize them. And by recognizing them, not running from your limitations, not running away from them, then you, you'll find that's one of the steps on the road to contentment. The second thing is recognizing what's your true purpose. Like what, what is your superpower, so to speak? What, you know, how, what are the things that, you know, on your deathbed that you want to be recognized for? And it, probably not going to be your bank account or, you know, the goal that you scored as in sophomore or whatever. It's, you know, so what, what is your, who are, who are you and what's your purpose? Why are you here? The third thing then is the spirit, this idea of a spiritual model. I'm not talking about faith or religion per se, but how do you explain the world to yourself? You know, cause yes, science can explain a certain amount, but what, how do you explain the world? And one of those things is recognizing we're not truly in control, um, which is a whole other area with high achievers. um, Because high achievers have generated an illusion in a small sphere of expertise that they're in control. You're not. You have a lot of expertise that allows you increase the probability of success, but you're never truly in control. And that's something that high achievers 
uh, forget over time. Um, but anyway, like I said, it's a whole other conversation. And the fourth thing then is, you know, to love and be loved because nobody is an island. Nobody can exist on their own. So in terms of your community, your tribe, your family, those are the four key things I think that, um, you know, people should strive to understand more of your identity, your purpose, your spiritual model, and, you know, to love and be loved. And then in terms of the practitioner, I think the most important thing is to truly enjoy learning and everything about human performance. I was fortunate or naive or stubborn enough just to be <laughs> wonderfully in interested in all these things. And I've realized that so many of them complement my understanding of different mm. things and not to become too specialized. So um, I think that's a, a nod to, uh, to range. Dr. Connolly. This was so <laughs> fun. Great stuff. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. A big thank you again to Dr. Fergus Connolly. Just so many great insights. By the way, he shared a few times about having a clear vision. So, so important. If you're new to the podcast, we did have an episode that was completely devoted to the process of identifying and developing and clarifying that clear vision. So you may want to check that out. It came out on December 30th of 2019, and it might be worth a peek if that suggestion that he had resonated with you. For those of you who are already health and wellness coaches, have you heard about the Rocky Mountain Coaching Retreat and Symposium? It's taking place in Estes Park, Colorado, September 18th through the 20th. And it not only provides you with new coaching tools, CEUs, the typical things, but you will also have a great opportunity. It's really a focus of the event to get that refreshment back, that, that rejuvenation, and recapture that passion that we had, hopefully still have, for coaching. We've dialed in the speakers, the agenda, and the early registration rate is currently available for those who would like to join us. You can find all the details under the retreat tab at catalystcoachinginstitute.com or feel free to reach out to us anytime, questions, you want to talk it through, find out what it's all about, results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. Now, it's time for better. Let's do this. Pursuing better than yesterday in our own lives and helping those around us do exactly the same. Life is tough, folks, but together we can move toward better, one step at a time. Thanks for joining us. This is Dr. Bradford Cooper signing off. Make it a great rest of your day, and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. <music>